You're listening to Drones in America on MarketScale. Your host, Grant Guillot, leads the Unmanned Aircraft Systems Practice Team for the law firm of Adams & Reese. Every week, he will be chatting with leaders, influencers, and experts who are impacting the rapidly growing commercial drone industry in the United States to help us through the complex web of technology and policy. The future of drone delivery is bright, but most of the stories revolve around the possibilities of the application and not establishing the timeline of when we will see drone delivery become a practical last mile solution. Grant sat down with the founders of Deuce Drone, who have the mission of flying, performing paid for commercial drone deliveries in the year 2020. With deliveries, we're always talking about last mile solutions and how the last mile expenses are the most expensive by far. So the concept of being able to order, um, whether it be a food product or some other kind of consumer good and receive it via drone is certainly going to be both a, a useful and um, one would especially argue during COVID-19, a, a necessary um, advantage that drones are able to provide. What kind of time savings are we talking about? Have you guys, um, gathering information about what kind of time savings this is going to serve for customers, being able to have goods delivered via drone as opposed to another means? Kind of tailor off of what Rhett said. If you think about how package delivery is done today, it's two-dimensional. The vehicle's got to travel a road and navigate through traffic, stoplights, et cetera, uh, to get from point A to point B. With drones, it's direct and it's three-dimensional. So we're avoiding the obstacles that are inherent from just traveling the roads. So there's gonna be you know, incredible time savings just utilizing you know, three-dimensional space versus two-dimensional. Uh, secondly, when you automate the system and it's, you, know, you take the human component out of it, that in itself is gonna create some efficiencies. Uh, to the direct question, what, how long would a delivery take? Uh, so our current drone that we are using uh, has an 18-minute battery life with full payload and can travel 40 miles an hour. Uh, so in theory, a package could go uh, round trip within uh, 12 minutes and still have enough reserve uh, for the uh, as required by the FAA. I, I think my math is right there. That might correct me, but I think that's right. Close enough for government work. No, that's fantastic. And that's a message, you know, that obviously is critical for the um, target customers. Um, and when we're dealing with these local and state government entities, for their citizens to understand how cost-saving and time-saving this is going to be for them. Um, Britain, how important is it when you're talking about the development of a new really infrastructure, because we're talking about um, putting in place an infrastructure and an ecosystem whereby drones really truly are integrated, um, at least the first into these Alabama cities, into their infrastructure network. How important is it on the front end to gain the support of state and local government leaders for a, a massive undertaking like this? Uh, Grant, I, I think it's critical. Um, I think you've got to have your local buy-in uh, from your elected officials, um, because they're going to be the, the biggest advocates for this. And uh, because it's a, a huge, 
potential economic impact um, for the region and, and for creating this ecosystems in which the drones are going to operate uh, and really test out the, uh, the development of this as it's launched on, a, on an amazing scale uh, nationwide and beyond. So the, the, it's critical to have the local buy-in for them to be able to answer the questions of their citizens so that uh, everybody understands But this is about quality of life uh, and this is about raising the quality of life of the citizens in the area where this service is going to be provided. In the past several years, the UAV market has exploded with technological growth, and aviation regulators have not been able to keep up with the amount of innovation occurring. A major cause for the roadblock by regulators goes back to a fundamental question. Should the local or federal level make key decisions? Grant sat down with Brent Scorup of George Mason University to discuss how Brent ranked all 50 states in terms of how open they are to allowing commercial drone operations. I don't know about you, but I'm hopeful that in the coming years, there will be a more streamlined uh, vision for where regulations are headed and that there won't be so much of a potential for patchworks of laws here and there. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I, I, ex- I expect, um, you know, the FAA in time will, will bring in states and cities and, and, and states themselves, you know, have a lot of authority to create uniform codes and they've done this in the past and I I hope states will bring uniformity to this area uh, whether it's trespass or nuisance or licensure or liability I mean there there are just a lot of uh, state and local issues you know zoning um, that that uh, we just don't state laws largely don't have yet and and we'll need to get to that point to have uh, the kind of uh, mass market drone services that that uh, that I, I imagine happening. Absolutely. I want to move on to another article you drafted. Which states are prepared for the drone industry? You call it a 50-state report card. I would call it a 50-state Bible because actually it's, it's so incredibly comprehensive. I mean, you analyze nearly every aspect of state drone regulation, and, and it's truly – a uh, treasure for anyone to find who is dealing with this on a um, interstate basis operating in more than one state and I actually sent it to a few clients and non-clients alike who have been very impressed with it I would encourage everyone listening to take a look at it again the name of the article is which states are prepared for the drone industry a 50 state report card and again you talk about various interesting legal topics in there but I want to go straight to the point um, let's talk about which states get an A in your book. Which states are at the forefront of commercial drone use and are the most welcoming and enticing for a company that wants to operate drones within that state? Yeah, yeah, and thank you for that. A lot of credit to my research assistant, Connor Hayland, who uh, did a lot of the painstaking work of going through state codes to find all, all the relevant rules. Um, so which, which states lead the way? Um, you know, off the top of my head from our report card, uh, North Dakota was number one. Um, other states that were near the top, uh, Arkansas, Vermont, uh, Oklahoma, Nevada, Colorado, California, Texas, um, North Carolina. I, I think that's most of the top 10. Um, I would add and some of those, the, I'm, I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. go ahead. 
I was saying, add that these states are all states where you've seen some degree, or at least most of these states are states where you've seen some degree of FAA or federal government participation in conjunction with state government and private industry. Yeah, and I should conf you know, confess before doing this report card, you know, I'm sure you, I, others who are in this area kind of know which states are, are kind of leading the way. Um, and and it, it was nice to see the report card match up uh, fairly closely with, with some of the states I knew uh, were, were leading the way, even though we weren't measuring, say, which ones have the federal uh, pilot programs. But we looked at which, which states have um, state laws and policies that, that would encourage uh, uh, an advanced drone uh, network someday. Now, I'm not going to make you name any state by name that you would give an F or states where you would put at the bottom of your list. Anyone who reads the report can see those for themselves. Being from Louisiana, I'll gladly put it out there that the Southeast has kind of been um, a little behind on both its integration of commercial drone use and on a regulatory front with what's going on with drone regulations down here. Um, and in fact, I've discussed this with Jay Merkel um, a few times. Um, and really, it's a combination of several things, but there's so much potential on the Southeast along the Gulf Coast for the commercial drone operations to shine. Oil and gas, uh, I, I could go on and on, energy, construction, it's all down here. And a lot of rich industries that really can make the most of commercial uh, drone operations. In your opinion, based on your research, what would you suppose, or what, what would you think would be a reason why this particular area of the country may come up a little short when it comes to advancements in commercial drone use and regulation. Yeah, and, and I can, you know, from you know my report card, and, and I'll just say a few of the factors that went into those scores. Um, you know, we, we waited, we, I, I envision uh, a world where there would be these drone corridors set up over public easements, and, and that way, you, you avoid uh, nuisance lawsuits, trespass lawsuits, takings lawsuits from property owners. And, and because this would be done with, with the FAA, you avoid um, preemption, unconstitutional preemption uh, lawsuits uh, if you have these drone corridors over public roadways. Um, and so we look at one of our top factors was does the state allow uh, leasing of airspace above public roads. And, and believe it or not, I mean, as you know, you've read the report, um, many states, over 20 states, allow leasing of airspace over public roads. These, these were put on decades ago, typically for real estate development above, above highways, above tunnels, um, but nothing um, in these laws would, would prohibit leasing to drone operators, for instance, under state law. Um, so that, that's one of the factors. And why, why does the Southeast uh, not, not do so well, which I, I noticed as well. I think, I think a lot of it has to do with population density, at least population density when these laws were often put in place, which was 40, 50 years ago. Um, and so I think, I think the states that were more populous, more dense, had more of, more of the laws that we looked at, um, like property rights to airspace, um, uh, navigation easements over private property. Uh, yeah, for, for whatever reason, uh, Southeast states didn't, didn't put these on, on their books decades ago when many other states did.
Companies and pilots have a lot of questions regarding how the government will implement remote ID. Grant spoke with the executive director of the Federal Aviation Administration, Jay Merkel, to get his insight and clarity regarding what drone users can expect in regards to operations over people and the utilization of drones in public safety. Another thing that I'm asked by companies who are seeking to perform advanced operations or things they're otherwise not automatically able to do under Part 107 is what can they do to maximize their chances of receiving authorization to obtain that waiver, to be able to perform outside the bounds of Part 107. And one of the things I always tell them is it all starts with the safety case and making the safety case is absolutely the most critical aspect of it. What, what is some other guidance you would give, Jay, for, for companies that are seeking to obtain those waivers? That's a great question. There are a number of resources on the FAA's website that I think are often very underutilized. So there are examples of successful waivers. So you can look at those and see how they were written and see the kind of information that is uh, a successful argument. You can download the 8040.6 um, safety management system. Uh, or safety risk management. There is the UAS safety team. Uh, their website has a number of products that are really aimed at operators and how they can build safety cases and express safety cases and a lot of tools there as well. Um, and all of these are free. Um, sorry for anyone who wants to provide services there, but uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to run you out of business. Um, <laughs> just to point out that there are a number of, of good resources and for those who are providing services in support of these applicants, I would recommend uh, you stay up to date with those resources as well. We also have a um, support center. So you can call us, uh, you can write us an email. Uh, when you call us, you actually get a real human on the other end of the line. Um, at least if you call during business hours on the East Coast, otherwise you get you record, record your message and we call you back. Um, we answer your emails. Uh, we provide technical assistance uh, in those cases, and particularly to, to public safety operators. Uh, since the uh, COVID-19 has started, we've had over 73 contacts where we provided technical assistance to the uh, public safety operators, helping them gain approval so that they can operate. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is I'm in Louisiana and Daniel, I believe you're in Texas, right? Yes. Um, in a lot of states in the Southeast, we either were not chosen or we're not participants or companies from our region are not participants in the integration pilot program. Um, Florida, I believe at one point was, they had a company, but they no longer are. Um, my question is, and, and a question that I receive a lot, what can companies down here in the Southeast do to obtain that support, given that they're not involved in IPP? What can they do to showcase to the rest of the country how they're able to utilize this technology for good and really make a difference? Well, one, you can always reach out and contact us um, and tell us you have uh, something you would like to showcase and we'll many times find a way to help you get your message out um, we'll provide technical assistance, as I mentioned. Um, the other thing we have heard, the community. So the IPP, per the presidential directive, will end in October, but we know our work isn't done, and we're working on what will the follow-on 
to IPP look like? Um, and we do hear the concern of communities like uh, Louisiana or, um, sorry, I almost used the pronunciation I grew up with. <laughs> Louisiana. We all have different pronunciation. My last name is pronounced about eight different ways just in South Louisiana, so don't feel bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so we've heard you. And we're working on some ways that we can maybe bolster our participation with you. Uh, at the moment, we're a little resource constrained. We're kind of at the max of the number of companies we can work with given the resources we have, but we've identified that as well. Um, and you mentioned the 10th IPP that did withdraw. You are correct. It was the Lee County Mosquito Control District, which um, I, I remember that because I'm from Fort Myers, which is where Lee County is. And so I kind of, I was sad to see them go. My hometown dropped out, but they just <laughs> couldn't afford it. Right, no, completely understandable. And um, one of the things that I'm doing on my part is I'm working with state agencies, whether it be state DOTDs or other regulatory bodies to try and grow drone programs in those southern states, those southeastern states, so that we can collaborate down here, work on improving public perception and public acceptance of drone use, and hopefully that will enable us to facilitate quicker collaboration with the FAA once we're all in a position to work together. I think that's fantastic. It's been, um, it's been, we've had very productive conversations with you. Great. That's, well, that's great to hear. So, um, I want to talk about the FAA UAS Symposium, which, um, of course, this year they're calling it the remotely piloted edition because we're all going virtual. We're going to be participating remotely. But what really excited me, and I think excited a lot of people, is the title of the program drones here for good that is Absolutely. very refreshing and positive to hear when you live in a time where there is so much negativity the industry may not have taken off as quickly as a lot of optimists originally hoped it would but to hear that the faa is taking the position drones are here for good this will become a part of our national airspace there is no stopping it i have a feeling how quickly that actually happens is largely dependent on things such as public perception and companies making their safety cases. But I wanted to ask what went behind the thought to name the program this year, Drones Here for Good? Well, um, we tend to attract a lot of uh, folks who think orthogonally and who, um, who like wordplay. So Drones for Good can have many, you know, we're here permanently, we're here for, to do good things for society. But back to your earlier point, there was such a narrative starting in the community that drones are scary. And, and we thought that was an unfortunate narrative. And we thought it was because we weren't getting the narrative out. The drones really are here for good. They're doing tremendous things, even visual line of sight. There's a tremendous amount that people can gain. Um, I think of, of companies that do communication tower inspections. Now people don't have to climb those towers anymore, right? Um, in the case of railway inspections, people aren't running trucks on those tracks and putting them at risk. Uh, at bridge inspections, there are so many ways that drones can be used in lieu of putting a human life in danger. And those are the industrial tasks. 
And uh, we thought that was an underrepresented story. And we wanted to make sure that we gave a platform for people to start bringing those stories out and really promoted it. Well, disaster relief, too, is a huge Absolutely. area for people. We're looking, you know, my uh, hometown, Baton Rouge, uh, that that tropical storm's making a beeline for us and it hopefully it won't be too bad but i know we've had some severe issues with flooding and hurricanes in the past few years with um electrical companies and telecommunications companies not being able to get services up as fast as the local regulatory bodies would have hoped and so and for that reason actually the louisiana public service commission just a side note actually has a docket open right now where they are considering whether to mandate drone use in disaster relief uh, situations. It's very interesting. Um, I don't know that you have too many instances of that going on across the country. But regardless, that just speaks to, I think people in this area of the country and perhaps nationwide are realizing the value of this technology in disaster relief. And you being from Florida, I'm sure you get that as well. Absolutely. Um, I remember growing up in Florida, it wasn't just a, a hurricane that caused your power to go out for days. It might just be a good old fashioned, you know, summer storm that knocked out power lines somewhere and it took the power company time to get it back online. Um, so, yes, and the flooding and what we've seen drone use, particularly in North Carolina, they were kind of on the forefront of that net disaster relief with drones and um, how insurance companies can use drones coming in after the storm to quickly assess the damage and people don't have to crawl up on roofs. You know, you can predict when, you know, you can see when a road is flooded so people don't go out and put themselves at danger trying to cross a road that's flooded or a bridge that's out. You know, there are just volumes of use cases for UAS in terms of disaster relief. I, I want to chime in real quick, uh, if you don't mind. Um, sure. So uh, the symposium title, again, Drones for Good, love the punniness always. Drones um, here for good, here for good. Yes, yep, here for good, yep, drones here for good. And I mean, both here for good as in, like you said, not going anywhere, and also here for good uh, as in helping out in positive ways. I wanted to just pick your brain on if there are any industries where you don't think drones are here for good yet in the sense of that they're not cemented as uh, essential in whatever the growth of that industry is or, or whatever the growth of that use case is and why. You know, if there's still some areas where drone usage is still being debated or up in the air about its utility or its staying power. So I wouldn't say that there's an industry-wide sentiment like that. I will mm. say companies vary in their enthusiasm or embracing the drone technologies. Um, I think, though, it's, it's starting to become a competitive advantage. Those companies that are using the drones and getting all this imagery and can process all this imagery and can reduce their reaction time or reduce the cost of providing the service, they're starting to gain a, a competitive advantage. And so I think that's, it's down to basic economics that I think will really drive the growth of this industry, which again is why we want to unlock those beyond visual line of sight operations so we can see it grow even more. Um, so not whole industries, more individual companies. Mm. I was thinking about that question a little bit. Um, I think there's some use cases we're not quite ready for. Uh, and that is the 
the carrying capacity of most of the aircraft out there is rather small, around a kilo. Uh, I think we'll see many more use cases, um, really viable use cases, when we can get that to say, you know, 10 kilos or 20 kilos or 100 kilos. I think it, and when we get ranges further and further, you know, instead of a five mile or a 10 mile, uh, you know, a 50 mile. Um, because that will really open up more opportunities for use cases. So I, I think it's less about people embracing it as a whole and more about the industry is taking some time to mature. Hmm. But what's fascinating is you never know how to predict this industry. So we've decided to stop. Um, we've stop decided predicting. to take yeah, right. <laughs> right, because we're always wrong. Um, but what we have in the back of our mind is, is a pulse check around every six months. Where is the industry going? And what do we need to do to adjust? What are we seeing in the operations uh, we're approving or people are coming to ask for? Is that changing the focus somewhat? Um, so we're constantly trying to adapt to what we see as, an, as a very rapidly changing um, marketplace and rapidly evolving use cases. What I want to add is, and I want to go back to a question or, or rather a topic that Jay was speaking of a few minutes ago, and that's public perception and getting the message out. Um, I want to say Marcus Scale has done a great job of having its pulse on where this industry is going and showcasing how drones are being used for good. It, you know, if only other outlets were doing the same thing and you know, Jay, pretty much every week I have almost a new example of a movie, not even that I've watched by myself. I've watched with my children where at the end the villain comes out and his uh, secret weapon is a drone or drone and they're just destroying everyone. So I think a large part of it is getting through to Hollywood, getting through to not just the journalists, which, of course, is important. But I mean, the people who are representing drones out there have got to get their heads around the fact that these are not evil machines that are going to bring down the world. I think I'll let you take on Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I, I, but I, but, but that. I share your sentiment. I have seen that same um, meme that's, that's sort of replicating itself in society. Um, I, I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that you mentioned um, news gathering uh, organizations. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I can't think of a news gathering organization that isn't using drones for news gathering, at least a major one, right? Um, f the film industry extensively uses drones. Um, when we were out doing sporty things, those industries are constantly using drones. Um, so I think it's a matter of people just hearing and seeing the uses and and continually reminding them you know this is how they are being used yeah okay you know i, I guess if i was a medical doctor i probably i guess if i was a medical doctor i might not always be completely happy with the way medicine is portrayed in um you know the popular media or movies either right but um some of them are good stories hey maybe we can convince them uh, to, 
do a movie where the drone saves the world. Well, I am going to, the moment this is over, try and set up a meeting with Steven Spielberg and <laughs> get with him and see if we can, or Martin Scorsese or someone, because this narrative has to change. And you're right. So many people actually in the Hollywood industry are using drones and they love them. Um, like Hollywood drones, for example, they're doing a great job and they're great advocates for drone use. And so it's just um, being able, and I think a lot of it has to do with educating our children as well as to what drones can do. And a lot of groups are doing a great job with focusing on education and STEM programs. So I think all of that is important as well. Unfortunately, we're almost out of time. Daniel, do you have anything else you'd like to ask, Jay? No, I was just going to pitch, uh, you know, we had E.T. phone home. Maybe now we have E.T. drone home, you know, yes. comes back and who knows. Let's just do the Hollywood brainstorming later. But uh, no, Jay, I, I appreciate all your insights. Um, I'm always interested to see how drones are being implemented at the uh, at the local government level, because, yeah, I'll just reiterate that point. I really think uh, how we see our publicly funded institutions use drones within their communities uh, will probably be very telling for how the public will accept them or not accept them and then strategically what the rest of the industry can do or advise on how to implement drones for the first time in a community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and Jay, I, of course, want to thank you. It's always a pleasure working with you. Um, you know, I set out a couple of years ago to try and make a difference in this industry and to really try and make a difference, not just in my home state, but countrywide, but also in the Southeast. And you've been very accessible and helpful. So I look forward to continuing to working with you and the rest of the FAA team to uh, bring the drone revolution down here to the Southeast and to continue to grow that revolution across the country. Uh, thank you again for all your guidance and all the great job, the great job that you and the rest of the FAA are doing in uh, integrating drones into the national airspace. And we would love to have you back on the program. Well, it was a great conversation with you, Grant, and with you, Daniel. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I greatly enjoyed it. It's We hit on some very important topics, and I would be happy to come back and join you some again sometime in the future.